Welcome to After All, a cross-generational podcast dedicated to discovering and rediscovering the social, political, and personal impact of The Mary Tyler Moore Show. I'm Ariel Fisher. And I'm Sylvia McCann. And welcome to the show. We're back this week looking at Support Your Local Mother, episode five, six? Episode six, uh, six. of The Mary Tyler Moore Show. And we finally get to meet what the, the woman that made Rhoda. <laughs> so we meet Ida Morgenstern, and uh, Mary puts Rhoda's visiting mother up in her apartment when Rhoda refuses to see her. Well, this was a joy. It was delightful. This was kind of hilarious. But, so we get to meet Rhoda's mother, and we know that Rhoda is Jewish. Um, I don't believe she's actively said that she's Jewish. And again, we have kind of this evasion of statement of the word Jew or ish or a combination thereof. Right. And and the only word of religion that has been uttered so far in any episode is Presbyterian. When, Presbyterian. Yes. When Lou asks Are you married? I don't think you're legally entitled to ask me that. Well, Presbyterian. <laughs> exactly. So we we assume and probably reasonably so that Rhoda's Jewish, she comes from the Bronx, she speaks with a Bronx accent, mm-hmm. she has the, 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 the Jew ways she, that we know so well because we can say that. You know, we can't because we because are. Because we are. So we, 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 we understand and we, we, we have, shall I say, that we have Judar? Well, ye, we, can t- we know our own. We know and our she's own. definitely one she's, of our own. She's Jewish. She's one of us, for yeah. sure. I don't know if, she's, if she is in real life, Valerie Harper, but... We, we can look that up. Well, she 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 blends. Yeah, you blend. She blends. She blends, she blends very well. Worst case scenario, she, she can pass. I mean, she she her whole character is very typically the New York Jew. Yes, so very much so. Mrs. Ida Morgenstern is typically the New York Jewish mother. Mother. Yes. Or the every Jewish mother. Yeah. Although, well, except so, me. Except you, you're 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 atypical in every way, shape, or form. But I so Ida comes and sits down and bumps her head on the door, and it's from that moment on, it's very you know, Rhoda is just avoiding her at every turn because because she makes her crazy because she makes her crazy because Jewish Cause, mothers make their children crazy because they don't take their pills and they buy them presents when they don't want them and there's a whole lot of guilt involved and why don't you see me anymore and when are you going to write to me and you don't write me enough and why don't you call more often but, and, but don't worry about me I'm fine oh yeah don't worry about me don't worry so about me so it's I'm that passive aggressive thing that you just can't win no and, no and matter that's why, what you do, you and that's can't why win. Rhoda doesn't want to see her, right? Because as know, she says, it sets her back twenty, 20 years. years. What do you want out of me, Rhoda? Would it hurt you so much to go down to the bus station and say goodbye to her and hello? 
No, it wouldn't. Well, then. But if I go down to that bus station, Mary, I won't get off with just a goodbye. I see her, it sets me back 20 years, minimum. And she becomes, uh, you know, a, like... A 10-year-old. A 10-year-old, yeah, yeah. She becomes a little girl all over again. But it's... Thank you for not being like this. I mean, <laughs> granted, she's not... She's pretty hilarious. Yeah. And I love when the episode starts off and Phyllis is showing Phyllis is showing Mary how to how to distress her furniture. That's right. And she's got her hang up so she can't whip it with a chain. Yes. And that's hilarious. But, but it's also hilarious that Phyllis is looks just like she's just going at it. She's because, just ready to go. Yeah. Now, guess it's ready for painting, huh? Not till you've aged it a little. How do I do that? Well, I wrote the stuff. Here, I'll show you. What's that? To give it an antique look. Send back. <laughs> By the way, if you got any hostilities, this is a marvelous way to work them off. I can see that. I haven't had this much fun in years. <laughs> Here, you try it. Well, um... Yeah, maybe later. No, no, go ahead. Well, I, I feel a little silly. <laughs> All right. I think the Phyllis character will probably come into play somewhat more in later episodes. Yeah. Where, um, but she's, I think she's a disgruntled wife. Yes. And so she's taking her frustrations out with a chain on a table. Yes. And uh, having great fun with it. Yes. And Mary can't because she has no hostility. No. As opposed to what Phyllis thinks, which is she she has has (laughs) hang-ups. She just starts giggling. She's trying to whip this little table and just can't manage to do it. And it's hilarious. But uh, so, so, so Ida comes over. So Ida comes over and we don't really have any women like this in our family, though. Not on your side. Hmm. Your grandmother a little bit. Well, Bubby, yeah, yeah, but not, not on oh, not on my side. No, no not no, on we're your special. side. But we have we have a we have a, a double ethnicity, which makes us very unique, um, because I was born in Argentina. Exactly. So it's it's the Argentinian Jewish um, uh, genre that is which is uh, different. It's quite different. Which is not to say that they're not a, any less or more neurotic than a New York Jew or a Toronto Jew oh, for that no, matter. Oh no, they're way neurotic. Abuelita was a very neurotic person. But for different reasons. Yes. She didn't she didn't do that passive aggressive thing with no. her children. She just worried about everything. Yes. And was very it's funny you say that because I'm sorry for this aside. I was so, sorting through photos recently and there was one of Abuelita who is my mother. Yeah. Um 
uh, when you, Ariel, who are now almost 30, mm -hmm. you must have been about 14 or so, and there were a gaggle of grandchildren. There was you and your brother and, and Simon, who was a little kid at the time, um, and I forget who else was in the picture, and all of you were sitting atop a statue this was when we had gone for brunch at the doctor's house in Kleinberg. Okay. And um, and Abuelita is there, and she is grabbing onto Simon's wrist. Okay. And you could just see that that his, you know his, you could his, see his hand turning blue. You could see his hand turning blue. <laughs> <laughs> so that was her love, you know, her way of worrying. Yeah. About about physical dangers and Ooh. safety and that kind of stuff. Well, I used to joke with. My friend Emiliano, who you remember, who I lived of with course. in university, who was who was born in Argentina. Yes. He was born. He was raised just outside of Mendoza. Yeah. And um, we used to joke about the abuelita hold because <laughs> that was the thing. I mean, that's what she that that's what abuelita used to do to us. We'd, yes. we'd be crossing the, the if we're crossing the road. She doesn't hold your hand. No, she your grabs wrist. your wrist. Yes, and it's a vice-like grip because you can't let go. Because you way. cannot let go. Yes. and there and and we would always laugh about that because his, you know, his abuelita had the same thing. Do the same you know? thing. And it's, it's maybe it's the abuelita it's, hold. It's the abuelita hold. It's, it's a wrestling the, move. It is. <laughs> it totally is. Um, but then you know, there were other things with her too. Like you can't. You, if you walk around the kitchen barefoot, you'll you'll get a cold. That's true. And if you that's, that's an absolute medical fact. An absolute <laughs> medical fact. And if you have wet hair and you go outside, you'll die of pneumonia. That's an other absolute, absolute medical, medical fact. fact. <laughs> so there was a different level of neurotic, I right. think. Yeah, quite different. Very. Actually. Whereas yeah. Bubby, my dad's mum. Is, who's still alive who is, and well at 90. She is the last remaining matriarch. She's older than 90. She's, what, 93 now? She's 90. She just turned 90 this year. Why did I think she's older? I don't I'm know. I'm a bad granddaughter. What can yes, I say? Yes, you are. But uh, <laughs> she is this kind of passive-aggressive neurotic, except there's a lot less hostility from Ida. <laughs> so... True. It's it's a different... It's, it's a horse of a different color, but it's distinctly recognizable, I think, to any Jewish person i would I'd say any waiting. jewish child but technically we're all children at some point or another this is true so yeah, yeah. it's it... <laughs> and i imagine this kind of guilt happens it's not it's not exclusive no to to the jewish community but i suspect that we we're we're really good at this oh yeah we have the market cornered we do i suspect that you know italian nonas are the same way to some degree probably and you know other other nationalities probably do it kind of in with slight with their with own slight variations with yes. their own twist on it their own individual unique stamp yes but the idea of don't worry about me i'm fine i'll just sit here in the corner <laughs> and and um, you know uh, what did she say? Oh, I don't eat. I never eat. <laughs> but there's a half a chicken in the but fridge. Well, I don't eat. I pick. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, if you get a little bit hungry later, just let me know. There's a half a chicken in the fridge. I can make that for you. Oh, that's what I. That's what I picked at. That's yeah. what I nibbled. We're just having a little snack. Oh, gee, I wish you'd let me fix you something to have for dinner. Oh no, I never eat. I just nibble. <laughs> well, if you're still hungry, there's half a chicken in the refrigerator. Not anymore. That's what I nibble. <laughs> Yeah, you used to have a half a chicken in the fridge. You no longer yes. do. <laughs> <clears throat> but it's hilarious. It's I 
But I am confused as to why they won't just say that she's Jewish. She's just from the Bronx. I don't know. That's the only way they acknowledge it. She says something to the effect of, it's Bronx love. Yes. As opposed to Midwestern love. Yes. Right. Which basically means it's Jewish love as opposed to waspy love. Right. It's Because in 1970, it was Jews who lived in the Bronx. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not not alone, though. You had a lot of other de- Actually, demographics. Actually, it's funny you say that. So a little anecdote here. Anecdote. I remember going to the Bronx to visit my grandmother's brother and his wife, oh, Uncle right. Max. Uncle Max and Aunt Ray <clears throat> lived on the Grand Concourse in New York in the Bronx. And they were the rich aunt and uncle. Okay. So in those days, so we came to Canada in 1968, and we might have visited them in like 1969. It was very soon after we arrived. And we drove to New York, and we went to their apartment, which was very grand on the Grand Concourse. Uh, so it was very stylish and very fancy and very modern. And it was, I think, I think in those days, the Bronx was predominantly Jewish. Huh. Now, of course, it's, you know, huge mixture um yeah but no there's more still than a lot of jewish people there as well in the bronx i i don't actually know anymore i don't know not. anymore mm-hmm. brooklyn is also a very prone yeah. i mean the the jewish population in new york in general is is very high yeah proportionate to the population in general and and, and proportionate to other uh parts of america mm-hmm. well even i mean when we went to new york three four years ago however long ago it was mm-hmm. and we were at macy's um, was it macy's yeah, the Mir- depart- yeah. Miracle on 34th Street. Yep, Macy's. that's Macy's. I always forget. Yep. I just think 34th Street. When we went to Macy's and we were walking around and we're walking th- through like the makeup counters and everything and there's all of these Orthodox Jewish women with their wigs or their hats and their floor-length skirts walking around the clinic. And their baby Yeah, yep. walking around the clinic counter. Which is... And it's... Yeah. But it's not something that you see in Toronto. In certain neighborhoods you do. You, not in not as much not, not in, as, in not, not in the numbers you don't see that at the eaton center the no, same way that you see that that we saw that this is true at macy's yeah it was so drastically different but also kind of nice because it's like oh wow i see myself i see yeah. like and not really because we're not that religious not at all but like yeah it's a it's amazing to see the jewish population so just out and about and mm-hmm. doing their own thing and mm-hmm. being there which was super cool so that's definitely like, even then, that was such a thing in New York. So it still strikes me as strange. Why don't they mention... Why don't they say the, the word Jew? The, yeah. Why isn't it that she's Jewish? Are they so, afraid of offending people? I, and I, and why, why would that be offensive in any way? I don't know. Because is anyone going to take offense to presenting Rhoda and her mother as a stereotype? Because she's more than that. Yes. She is a stereotype, but she's way more than that. Much more than that. Yeah, it's and, also, I, and I think over the... Over, over the lifetime of the show, she develops into a, a full-fledged human person. Um, yeah. That so far we've—it's only been six episodes, so the development of the characters will happen over time. Exactly. Yes, yeah. and we'll come to know them more. Yes. But I, but I see, like again, we're not very religious people, and we're not necessarily, but we're very culturally Jewish in our own way. Yeah. So I we, see a lot of us in them. Absolutely. And like I a think, lot. Yeah. And, and it's. It's, it, it's kind of fun. It's super fun, yeah. but it's kind of like just just say it. Just it's it's, it's okay. <laughs> like we're cool with it, man. Just like I wonder, call a spade a spade. I wonder if we can look that up in terms of 
Were there certain, you know, the George Carlin, there's seven words you can't say on television. Was Jew one of those words? No, it wasn't. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it might be an aside. You know. it's, it's in the appendices? It's in the, the <clears throat> seven politically cor- incorrect words that you can't say on television. Well, also, it might be an interesting th- thing to look up. When you think about it, this was, I mean, it was 25 years after the end of the war. Yeah. So is that still too soon? Is that like, were people so. like walking on eggshells? Was that something that you didn't necessarily or could it be as simple as they didn't think you know nielsen families wouldn't respond well to seeing jews in their television that they had to see themselves they had to make sure that it was palatable and it's it's palatable enough so it's watered down by not saying by By not not saying saying the the word word. possibly maybe but i think anyone watching that show would know instantly that someone by the last name of morgenstern and with a with a a passive aggressive mother like that you know jewish you know who this is yeah, I don't know. Maybe so I'm not they sure. didn't. Who knows? That's that's. It strikes me as strange. I, and I and I agree because you didn't have characters that were openly Jewish on television like that, did you? At that time, I can't think of anyone. Like not overtly. No, definitely wouldn't have had anybody like that on something like All in the Family, but that came later. All in the Family was only like a year later. Yeah, it was 1971 when they started, and they had Mike, the the son-in-law. And he was he was Polish, but so, he wasn't Jewish. No, he wasn't Jewish. But they made fun of of like Archie made fun of him for being a Polak. So so Fucking Archie, yeah, well, oh, God. You know Archie. <laughs> Political in- so maybe a year. I, I think though all these taboos were starting to be broken down. And maybe that's why. Maybe it does have something to do with that because twenty five years isn't that long. Mm-hmm. When you think about it, maybe there is some kind of correlation. It would be interesting to see because definitely yeah. in terms of representation on screen, it just didn't exist. Like you had, you wouldn't necessarily go around advertising you were Jewish anyways. It's not something that people could relate to and it would probably no. make people uncomfortable because how would you react, right? At that at that time. In those days. Yeah. At that time, most of the people, especially if they were an immigrant Jew... Mm-hmm. or the child of immigrant Jews, mm-hmm. there was a, you're talking less than a generation's worth of distance from the Holocaust. That's immediate, right? True. But I think it's, it, there There was also that, that sense of we are other than, we are ethnic. Yeah. And in those days, let's say in Toronto, when we first arrived in Toronto, there were places that Jews were not welcome. Really? Oh, yeah. You remember that? Uh, yes. Like how? I don't remember how I knew this, but for example, Earl Bales Park, which is now a public park, okay. used to be a private golf club. Okay. And it didn't allow Jews or blacks. Really? Yes. Uh, the Granite Club didn't allow Jews and probably blacks as well. Almost, so this yeah. was, now I don't know, I suspect there was nothing ever in writing about this because it looked bad. Uh, yeah. But it was, um, but it was known. That Jews, well, yeah, there is always that stereotype, right? That Jews aren't mm-hmm. welcome at country clubs. You have yeah. to, you know, wear your pearls and your polo shirt and pretend. Yep. Yeah, you have to assimilate. Mm. Yeah. So, but I think Jews, especially immigrant Jews, who then made uh, a life for themselves in America and, and by extension in Canada, kind of said, fine, you don't want us in your clubs and in your organizations and in your law firms, we're going to make our own. And that's exactly what happened. And did we ever. And did we ever. So it happens. So people are are, um, adaptable and resilient. Yeah. 
No, completely. Yeah. It's so nice to see, though. Like, it's she's such an interesting character to watch she because is. she's still so full of love. She is. So her love is kind of... It's complicated. Say, it's, it's complicated and misguided. And it's it, she's needy and yet pretends not to be. Because she's the mother. She's not she's supposed to be needy. She's no. not supposed to need for anything. But no. Rhoda has to ask if she's taken her pills. Right. Because if she doesn't ask then she won't take her pills. That's right. It's like if a tree falls in the woods and no one's around <laughs> to complain about the sound, did it happen? Yeah. So in this case, you know, Rhoda has to ask about the pills. Now you want to see No, Rhoda, I'm sorry, I don't. I mean, your mother is down there and you're up here and you say you love her, but Mary, she, you're I, talking about Midwestern love. I'm talking about Bronx love. There's a certain amount of guilt that goes with that. My mother wants the people she loves to feel guilty. Like with her pills. Her pills? Right, pills. My mother hasn't been taking her pills for as long as I can remember. Uh, what hasn't she been taking them for? I've never been sure. For all I know, they're an aphrodisiac. <laughs> no more, Mary, really. If, if she needs those pills, she'll take them herself. You're really not going to see your mother? No. Okay, Rhoda. Mary. After she's been taking her pills. It's really heartwarming when you get to the end of the episode and, you know, Rhoda doesn't want to see her because she's, you know, she'll regress 20 years. But... She turns around and she sees her mom and she starts to cry and she's immediately really happy to see her. But she feels, I think it's really a testament also to how vulnerable our mothers can make us feel mm. and how dependent it can also make us feel. Like mm-hmm. we, you know, she's a big girl living in the city, making it on her own. Yeah. She tries to send money to her mother to help out. It's $50 every month. It's not much. Which, in the, well, in those days, it was a lot. Yes. You think about how much she was probably making, which is probably, probably maybe... not much. Whatever. 200 bucks a month. Yeah. Maybe. So she's sending as much money as she can, when she can. And she's, you know, she's a professional girl living in the city, doing her own thing. She's moved away from home. She's not mm-hmm. living in New York anymore. And she sees her mom and all of a sudden she feels like a little girl. Mm -hmm. And she feels like she wants to curl up into a ball and be taken care of. And so she can't do that because it makes, because it seems like a sense of weakness. I feel like that sometimes. Do you? Yeah, a little. Not because you make me feel like I can't take care of myself. No, because I think you can take care of yourself extremely well. Yeah, but when you're around, it's like, mommy. I know. (laughs) No, I get that. I get that. I understand. Do you know what I remember? And this is a complete aside. So I apologize for the what would we be if not people who digress we do i remember when um so my younger sister married a lovely mexican man jewish mexican i'll have you know (laughs) so all the parents are good um jacobo jacobo so jacobo and claudia got married in mexico in 1989 so you were i was one you were one and i was not there and you were not there because I didn't take you. And I went on my own. So your father didn't come. No, he stayed back with me and Derek, right? Correct. Right. So I went on my own with my extended family. So with my parents, with my siblings. And um, I think, yeah, the like my older sister's husband and children came. <clears throat> yeah, Tammy went. I think I've Tammy seen pictures. Tammy went. She was, yeah, she she was, was the flower girl. She was the she? flower girl. And we spent a lovely time in Mexico City for, I guess it was about a week or so. 
and I immediately regressed to being a teenager mm -hmm. <laughs> because my parents were there and I didn't have my responsibilities <clears throat> as a mother and as a wife to do anything so I just got taken places and people told me what to do and I was very happy to just not have to make decisions mm -hmm. which is kind of nice once in a while yeah you know, oh yeah it's uh so so having having a mommy who will make decisions for you takes the the pressure off of you once in a while yeah it does because being a grown-up is not always fun no being no. a grown-up is hard maybe it that's at the work. dark underbelly of all of this right is Rhoda not wanting to and I, I say dark but I say that lightly you know you don't want to really acknowledge how hard it is because if you acknowledge how hard it is that means that you're gonna curl up into a ball and and put the covers over your yes. head and not come out for a you're while you're gonna turn into a human burrito and yep. just sit yep. there and cry yep. <laughs> and that's you know it's it's hard it, it's definitely hard and it's but it's funny though because because Ida doesn't really make it easier no and in fact after three days of spending uh, time in with Mary, Mary with Mary in Mary's apartment Mary turns into a wreck yeah in fact her boss tells her she's doing a rotten job and yep. she is in tears because she agrees not because she thinks he's wrong but because she's like oh my god I've been doing such a rotten job because I'm so worried about uh, Rhoda and Ida and why they're not getting along and I think Ida just has a way of very and not deliberately because I think Ida's intentions are good oh they're very Ida's intentions are very good she just has no idea how to she she, them. she undermines and and unravels the next generation yeah maybe she unravels her own husband I'm not sure well no, He's, but it's it's interesting that you say that she unravels them and that she undermines them, I think, yeah. more specifically. Because, you know, Phyllis comes over and she's like, oh, how's it been with Ida? And she's like, who's Ida? Mrs. Morgenstern. Oh, right. you can't just call her Ida? Like, it's as if she can't have an adult relationship with this other adult right. who happens to be staying over. And she can't really put her foot down and say, no, no, don't do the dishes. Mm -hmm. I will do them. Mm -hmm. You know, she doesn't have that level of assertiveness because in, in her own way, she seems to almost feel like a little girl. Mm -hmm. And Ida will come home after Mary's just finished doing the dishes and, and redo, redo the dishes. And Phyllis is like, well, what's bothering you? What is she doing? That's bad. And she hears her doing the dishes and she goes, that. She goes, what? She's doing the dishes. Exactly. I just did them. Mm. Oh, well, she's just being nice and she's just trying to do this and she's trying to do that. And it's all fine and good. So why is Phyllis able to not fall under Ida's spell, so to speak? I wonder if it's in a way because the character is a mother. Could be. Because yeah. she, because she is responsible for some other living human right and she has to take care of them all the time and orchestrate everything sure. for other people and take care of other people so that if she sees someone who comes in who wants to do that a little bit it's easier to just relinquish the control because it's really nice sometimes to let someone else take care of things when you're the one taking care of everything this is true and meanwhile you have both rhoda and mary who are single they're not and mothers childless. and yeah. yeah they're they're single and childless and and decidedly so like deliberately this is their choice and mm -hmm. that's totally fine but they have no one to be responsible for but themselves right which means that 
which is actually a really nice, I mean, sometimes, yeah, sure, when you're single, it can get a little lonely from time to time. But ultimately, when you don't have to answer to anybody, mm-hmm. and you don't have to coordinate with anybody, and you can come and go as you please, and do the dishes however you want to, and whenever mm-hmm. you want to, mm-hmm. and everything seems to stay clean and tidy and in its place, no matter what, it's really frustrating when you have somebody come into your life and be like, well, no, let me do that for you. It's like, no, 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 I don't need you to do anything for right. me. Right? It becomes that kind of reversal of... It's the unsolicited helpfulness. Yes. That you kind of say, just back off. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's like the... Which I know too well from my booby. Yeah. And it's it's always something to do with food. Yeah. It's like, oh, you're, you know, I'm not going to eat all of this. You'll finish my meal. No, no, no I no. have my own food. I'm fi- No, 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 I'm it's good. okay. You'll take it home for you. It'll be a great lunch later. Yeah. Or you can have it for dinner. It'll be fine. That egg salad will keep. It'll, it'll be great. Or when we go to a restaurant <laughs> and she um, won't eat, you know, she'll eat like a bird. Yep. And wants to share a salad with you. Yep. We'll get the big, we'll get, the, we'll get the big salad and we'll split it. And then you can take the rest home if you're still hungry. And That's it's right. like, I can't, I can, I'm a big kid now. I can choose for myself. Let me be a big kid. But it, it's a complicated relationship, folks. It is indeed. <laughs> and I, it's interesting in talking to actually my sisters that they've, we've, we've all acknowledged that we have been very lucky, like that. My sisters and I have been very lucky to have the parents that we had mm-hmm. and the good relationship that we have with each other because we didn't have a an Ida Morgenstern as a mother who um, might have also, because one of the things that this kind of typical mother does is will pit one child against the other yep. in order to, to, uh, to gain favor. Yeah. Definitely, yes, totally. That right. isn't that that would have been an item. And we know people who we know people out there in the world who have a very adversarial relationship with their with their item mother. Oh yeah, and with their siblings as a result of the item mother controlling passive aggressive nature. Yetta, yetta, yetta. There you go. Yetta, my grandmother's sister. That's a thing. Yeah. It, yeah. Oh, and it can be, and it can be really ugly. That's I think the nice thing about this is that Ida's not No, Ida's malicious. sweet. No, she's not. She's she's very well-meaning. Yes, and she's very giving and yeah. she's very kind. If at times misguided. Yes. And a little too meddlesome. Yes. But it comes from a good place. <laughs> like when she buys her 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 coat at the end of the episode, I which know. is like 400 and something dollars, which if you were to adjust that for inflation is over $2,700 today. Like, it's insanity. But apparently she's an heiress now, so, you know. That's right. Because they're comfortable. They're comfortable. They're comfortable. Oh, well, I guess this means I'm an heiress. But that's the... That's our introduction to Ida Morgenstern. Guys. I think she shows up a few more times. She does, and apparently yeah. she was a big player on... I think she shows up another th- four times or something like that on... The Mary Tyler Moore show. And she comes into play a lot on Rhoda. On Rhoda. Once on the, the spinoff. spinoff happens. Yeah. Although we won't be looking at the spinoff, but still. But it was a fun show yeah. from what we I have, recall. I think we have another two seasons or so with Rhoda, give or take, before she goes. Something like that. Two or oh. three. I think she leaves in... She, yeah, I think she left in 74. And I'm pretty sure Phyllis left in 75. Okay. Yeah. All right. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. But for next week, episode seven... Toulouse-Lautrec is one of my favorite artists. 
Okay. So that should be interesting. Mary accepts a date with a very short visiting author. <laughs> so I'm I'm suspecting that this is going to be another episode that's a little sticky. Perhaps it's uh, a little silly, a little sitcom we'll It seems to be the case. We started the season off with a lot of real heavyweight kind of hard-hitting topics and some mm-hmm. interesting concepts. And now we're kind of just having a good time and having some yucks. And it's really cute and it's really fun. So we'll see what happens next week with Toulouse-Lautrec oui. and Mary's little date. <laughs> so tune into the show anywhere you can find us on Google Play Music, SoundCloud, Stitcher, the podcast, Pocket Casts app, I can speak. Or, of course, listen to us on iTunes. Uh, subscribe to the show, rate the show, give us a little review. If you're interested in getting in touch with us, shoot us an email at afterallpodcast at gmail.com or you can touch base with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, of course, at After All Podcast. So look us up, get in touch, see what we're doing, and let us know how you think we're doing and what do you like, what do you think of the show? And until then, we'll see you guys next time. Mm-hmm.